With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and... Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Taishin Seneca Business Brief, a weekly roundup of business and financial news from China's leading financial magazine, Taishin, produced by SubChina and featuring conversations with Taishin writers and editors. I'm Ada Shen. Kaiser Guo is traveling this week. In this episode, the phase one trade deal is official, but does it mean anything? Economic growth slows, but Chinese average income rises, surpassing $10,000 U.S., and Chinese are having fewer babies than we expected, deepening fears of an impending demographic crisis in the fast-aging society. Here's your news. The so-called Phase 1 agreement that seeks a ceasefire for the U.S.-China trade war was inked in Washington last week, but skepticism abounds. For one, most of the hundreds of billions of dollars in tariffs the two sides have imposed will remain. Most of the concessions, which came from the Chinese side, focus on opening market access, protecting intellectual property rights, and Beijing agreeing to increase its purchase of American goods, particularly agricultural products. Some hot takes. The deal means nothing. China won. The U.S. won. Both sides lost. Commentary has been all over the place. But the two sides are talking. In fact, U.S. officials said discussions on a phase two agreement have already begun. China's economic growth dipped to an almost three-decade low in 2019, although the slowdown was accompanied by a more positive milestone. Annual per capita GDP rose above $10,000 U.S. for the first time. Overall GDP expanded 6.1% last year, the weakest pace since 1990, and down from 6.6% in 2018. The number was at the lower end of the government's target range of 6% to 6.5% and reflects a softening in domestic and global demand and the impact of the trade war with the U.S. But annual per capita GDP rose 9.7% to $10,340 U.S. last year, marking the first time the value has exceeded $10,000. The indicator, a measure of economic output that takes population into account, provides a better picture of a country's standard of living. According to the latest data, China now ranks 65th out of 186 countries in terms of GDP per capita, according to the IMF. 
Many economists expect China's overall economy to continue to slow this year. Investment growth is likely to remain sluggish despite policymakers' efforts to support spending, while real estate, traditionally a key driver of activity, will also be subdued as administrative controls over home purchases and funding for developers are maintained. The government has pledged not to unleash monetary stimulus, focusing instead on boosting fiscal spending, especially on infrastructure, to support growth. Speaking of declines, China's birth rate dropped to the lowest level since 1949, and the labor force continued to shrink in the latest sign of slowing growth prospects for the world's second-largest economy. China has struggled to arrest the country's declining birth rate for years, easing its stringent one-child policy in 2013 and allowing each family to have two children in 2016. Still, leaders have resisted calls to fully lift restrictions on the number of babies each family can have, even as the birth rate in 2018 dropped to lows unseen since the turmoil of Mao Zedong's Great Leap Forward. Widespread domestic migration, rapid urbanization, a cutthroat work culture, the high cost of housing and education, and rampant gender discrimination all contribute to the low birth rate and may continue to do so for decades to come, experts said. The trend is expected to cause a demographic crisis in China as a dwindling workforce can no longer support an expanding elderly population, straining pension systems and hospitals, and weakening overall productivity. A second person has died from what authorities say is a new pneumonia-causing virus that originated in the central city of Wuhan and has infected dozens of people. The 69-year-old man died Wednesday while being treated for extensive damage to multiple organs: heart inflammation, abnormal kidney function, and tuberculosis. The disease is thought to be caused by a previously unknown type of coronavirus that may have first spread to humans from animals at a now shuttered seafood market in Wuhan, where most of the cases have been diagnosed. Further cases have been confirmed in Thailand, Japan, and Singapore, while suspected cases have also occurred in a number of other countries and territories. Coronaviruses are a family of viruses that can cause a variety of ailments, among them the deadly severe acute respiratory syndrome (SARS) and Middle East Respiratory Syndrome (MERS). However, health officials do not believe the new virus is as dangerous as those, and it remains unclear whether it can spread between people. China released 30,000 tons of pork from national strategic reserves on Friday in the latest effort to ensure the country can afford to keep pork on the menu over the Lunar New Year holiday, after African swine fever caused the meat's prices to skyrocket. China's central government and a handful of provinces hold substantial reserves in frozen pork and live hogs in freezers and farms around the country. While too small to guarantee supply, based on Caixin's calculations, China chomps through more than 30,000 tons every six hours. They are released in small amounts to put downward pressure on prices. Food prices in China were up 17.4 percent year-on-year in December, with pork responsible for most of the increase, according to the National Bureau of Statistics, or the NBS. Prices on the popular meat soared 97 percent year-on-year and accounted for just over half the overall CPI increase of 4.5 percent. But that surge was down again from a year-on-year pace of 110.2 percent in November. 
Since it was first reported in China in the summer of 2018, the deadly pig disease is believed to have killed as many as half of the country's hogs and cut pork production by as much as 30%, causing more than 1 trillion yuan, or 145 billion U.S. dollars, of direct losses. Let's turn now to Tanner Brown, head of breaking news at Taishin Global and co-producer of this podcast to chat about what happened this week. The U.S. and China have just signed a first phase of a trade agreement. Tell us a bit more about how we got here and what is going on. Right. So last week in Washington, President Trump and China's top trade negotiator, or really trade kind of leader, Liu He, a very prominent Chinese politician, uh, who incidentally went to middle school with Xi Jinping, they signed the what's called Phase One uh, trade agreement. Um, and this comes after sort of the background is it comes after almost two years of a pretty bruising trade war between the two countries, uh, which are the world's two largest economies. And over the course of those two years, the main punishments that the countries have put put on each other were uh, tariffs, so taxes on imports and exports of the country's goods. And it had come to a point where almost all of the goods that the two countries were shipping to each other were facing taxes, tariffs that um, were either not in place before the trade war or were greater than before the trade war. There are a lot of other issues that, that are involved here. For one, this constant news cycle with Trump and China has created a lot of questions for the U.S. Democratic candidates who have had to either sound strong or stronger on China or have had to sound like they have a better plan than Trump on how to deal with it. So that's number one. Number two, it's created some cheers and some boos at home for Trump's uh, re-election base. You know, it, it ostensibly hurt farmers, exporters in the U.S., um, China had put tariffs on sectors in the U.S. that they knew, that Chinese policymakers knew would hurt Trump's supporters. For China's side, it came at a time that was, you know, hurting China's economy, came at a time of record low economic growth for China. So what I'm getting at is you've got the trade war. We've, we've got, uh, we'll talk in a moment about what's in this first phase agreement, but it comes uh, at a time and has an impact on a number of different areas, both for each country's domestic, political, and economic situations, for their bilateral economic uh, relationship, and for the global economy. Okay, so what exactly is in the phase one trade deal? Is it significant? Well, the media, observers, experts have had a couple of sort of takes or opinions or consensuses on what happened. One is that it's a non-event, that most of the tariffs still remain in place, that the Chinese agreements or concessions are either easily reversible or or they, they could easily be stopped if China gets unhappy in the future. And that there's not a super, super strong enforcement mechanism for what has been agreed upon. 
Um, so that's one take. Another take is that it's a reasonable first step, and and the U.S. came out looking pretty decent. If you believe that China will abide by its commitments, it has agreed to a number of steps, which is billions and millions of, I think it was a $200 billion increase in the purchase of American goods. A huge chunk of that are agricultural goods, which um, Trump really wanted. Again, appeals to his base. They've agreed to crack down on the theft or alleged theft of intellectual properties from American companies. They've agreed to crack down on forced technology transfers, which is when U.S. companies go to China or work with Chinese entities and are forced to hand over some sen- some of their sensitive technology or, or um, intellectual property. China also agreed to open up its trade and investment barriers in financial industries. So they committed to provide more market access uh, or friendly regulatory treatment for American Uh, financial companies like banking, credit rating firms, electronic payments, financial asset management, securities uh, firms, insurance companies, things like that, which was, you know, China has been saying it's going to do for a long time and and had taken steps to do doing, but um, this either expedites or broadens those commitments from Beijing, again, ostensibly. What did China get in return? Well, Washington agreed to either lower or halt a pretty small amount of threatened tariffs. So some increase in tariffs were supposed to go through last month, and those are not going to go through. Um, But tariffs on hundreds of billions of dollars worth of goods that the U.S. places on China are going to remain in effect. And on a smaller amount, but it's still very large amount of goods that of, t- of taxes that Beijing is putting on American goods is going to remain in effect. So I don't want to make a overstatement here, but a lot of the, the tariff part of, of this trade war hasn't really changed and remains. And so um, if you are part of the sectors in either of the countries that was really unhappy with these protectionist measures, these these tariffs, um, that were sort of anti-free trade tools. Uh, you you may not be happy with with this part of this phase one, because the tariff situation was an area that didn't really get a lot of change or progress from this phase one. What do you think is likely to come next? Uh, well, there are a couple things we know. One, the bulk of what was agreed upon is supposed to begin within 30 days. So some of the commitments that especially China has made are supposed to start within 30 days. Number two, uh, Trump has promised that a phase two, so a step two, which he promised to be more substantial, is is um, going to happen immediately, he said. And Mike Pence, vice president, on Friday said that those discussions had already begun uh, Really, essentially, no details were given on what that means. So there's talk that this first step was not only just that, a first step, but that a second step or subsequent steps are soon to come. Um, And then finally, I would just say that uh, some observers have noted that if this phase one 
fails, say China, for instance, doesn't live up to some of its commitments that it could soon unravel so that there are, you know, easy ways to see if either country, especially China, who has made more specific commitments, if they're not living up to those agreements of this phase one, then you'd either have uh, an intensification of the trade war, a scrapping of the agreements, some kind of change. So I think what I'm getting at here is, you know, worst case scenario for next step is that what's agreed upon has failed and the trade war resumes and or is intensified. Tanner, thanks so much for talking with us. I guess we'll see how this phase plays out. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you again soon. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by China and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Ufei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Subscribe to our newsletter at SupChina.com. Take care.